Well, you can take a seat. Uh, and good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I am our college teaching director here at Anderson. So normally I'm across the street, but in the summer I get to bounce around a little bit. I was here last week. So in case you're like, hey, is that the... Yeah, so I'm the guy from last week. Hello again. Uh, but we uh, are wanted to take a moment right now and, and just sort of pause and reflect on this past week. Uh, I know maybe we've had a lot of different things and you were doing stuff and I was doing stuff and people were just doing stuff, I guess. But one of the things that happened was Backyard Bible Club. Uh, many of you that are here today, I'm sure we're even helping in that, uh, volunteering or hosting uh, or even just praying for us uh, as uh, other people were kind of on the ground doing ministry. Uh, and man, I- I'll tell you, it was an incredibly wonderful, uh, effective uh, ministry. And it was a wonderful week where we got to see just tons of people come together. To, to learn about the Lord. You know, we saw all these children, many of them maybe even encountering Christ for the very first time. Uh, many of them placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, getting to go home and tell their families about that. I mean, we had uh, so many people. We had 15 clubs across Bryan College Station. We, we were able to garner the, the help of over 180 volunteers, which was so incredibly essential to, to host the 350 plus kids that were at these clubs. I mean, it was an incredible time, not just to, for the week itself to kind of be the standalone event and experience, but, but the hope is and the goal is that that week would simply be the first step towards a new life direction, which is why many of those families got to come to Grace at the end of the week for family fun night where they were introduced to Grace, maybe even just church for the very first time. There were relationships that were formed between neighbors, between friends, between co-workers. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible ministry, and we're so glad that you allowed it to happen. So thank you so much. Thanks to you, to the Lord's work. I mean, we got to reach a lot of kids which is always fun. Uh, I'm also excited to share with you uh, this little thing that I found this week. Good boy. Donnie Corey! Dad's awesome. Man, he is. That is awesome sometimes, man. We, we've seen that. We, we've seen awesome dads. We've seen fathers who, who just loved their children well, su- supported their children, provided for their children, protected their children. Uh, we we love seeing that. There's something incredibly encouraging in seeing fathers be great dads. That's why we have a day set aside in their honor. Next week, next Sunday, uh, in case you didn't know, children of dads, uh, Go get the Lowe's gift card and, <laughs> and something. Uh, but we, we love to see this, right? There's something deep within us that, that is encouraged, that is affirmed by seeing a father who's faithful, who's caring, who's gracious, a father who loves, provides, protects for his children. I mean, there's something incredible in that. We've seen it, but the truth is that we haven't all experienced it, right? The, tr- the truth is that, I mean, we, we come from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of uh, families, a variety of, of fathers. And there's something tragic about seeing a father who is, is distant or, or apathetic or, or abusive or even just absent. 
A study by the Pew Research Center in 2013 found that only 46% of American kids right now, 46% of kids under the age of 18 actually live with their mom and dad married. 46%. And there's something in that number, in that realization, that really, that really hurts for us in this church, for even society at large. There's been numerous studies, numerous articles, lots of talk right now about just the family dynamic and, and how it works and what it does and, and what's needed. And, and I'll tell you that time and time again, and all the stuff that I've been reading uh, for this message, I'll tell you what we see time and again is people realizing and affirming, wow, fathers are really, really crucial. Fathers are really, really important for the lives and development of their children. And the reality is that, man, some of us had wonderful, mostly wonderful fathers. Some of us had horrible fathers. Some of us knew our fathers, know our fathers. Some of us have never even spoken to them. I mean, some of us still have our fathers with us. Some of us, they're gone. They've passed away, whatever it might be. But the reality is that all of our fathers are just people, right? All of our fathers were people with, with, with faults and with failures, with strengths, but also weaknesses. And so when we look in scripture and we see that God Almighty, the Lord of the universe, when he calls himself our father, what does that make us think of? What attributes and characteristics spring to our minds? Based on our own experiences, based on what we've seen in this world, what does that then do to our perception of God when he calls himself our father. When God calls himself our father, what should come to mind? What attributes should we think of? This summer we're studying theology. We're looking at the Lord and we're looking at how he's been at work in our world. And we're doing this because God wants us to love him with all of our minds as well as our hearts. He wants us to spend time thinking about him and reflecting on his words and on his work. He wants us to spend time studying who he is because what God realizes, how God has designed us is that the more that we learn about him, the greater we will know him personally, intimately, deeply. And man, that, that knowledge of God, not just knowing about him, but knowing him, that's the goal of life. That's why we're here. That's why last week we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he is doing in our world. Specifically, we looked at the Holy Spirit's uh, ministry of conviction, uh, of, explan- of explanation, and of equipping God's people for God's work. And this morning we're, we're shifting our focus to God the Father. Specifically, we're, we're looking at some of his attributes. We're looking at the fact that he is our father who loves. He's our father who provides generously. He's our father who reconciles. Who provides reconciliation for the worst of humanity. 
If you want to read more on this, even beyond this morning, this is going to be brief. We're going to be, you know, kind of flying by big picture sort of stuff, covering just three attributes out of countless. If you want to look into this more, read about it more, I would strongly recommend this resource. It's called The Attributes of God. Boom, straight up, uh, very clear. Uh, the two volumes, you can get them each for like eight bucks or something on Amazon, but it's by A.W. Tozer, uh, wonderful author, wonderful work. Uh, what's incredible too is that when you buy, depending on the edition, I think pretty much all editions, they, they come with a study guide, meaning that as you're reading through these attributes, there's 10 attributes in each volume. And as you're reading through them, the study guide will even help you uh, ask like reflective questions and really kind of dig deeper into these ideas and concepts to how does it affect your individual, you know, your daily life, your daily walk. Strongly recommend it if you have any interest in learning more and reading more and studying more. Uh, but this morning we're starting in First John chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or if you want to go there on your phone and an app, whatever you use, First John chapter 3. And, and what we'll see in First John 3 is uh, an implication about our relationship with God that, that we don't often think about. That at least I personally don't generally reflect upon. It's a result of our relationship. The fact that God is our father and he is our child. The fact that if I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm no longer a child of wrath. I am now a child of the Lord most high. I'm adopted into God's family. And because of that, he's my father. I'm his son. And that, that has implications for my life. That's what we see in 1 John 3, uh, looking in verse 1. He says, See what sort of love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And indeed we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it does not know him. So right here, what we see is God is our Father, but, but John takes it even further. He says, because he's your Father, because you're his children, this is the thing. The world's not going to recognize parts of you, not going to know you, or, or another way to say that is to, will not understand us because it does understand God. What does that mean? In, in other words, because you are a child of God, there are going to be aspects and attributes of your life that reflect Him. He's going to pass on some of His attributes, some of His characteristics some of his desires, some of his inclinations. And because of that, because of that passing down, if the world doesn't understand God, if the world doesn't understand our father, well, yeah, it's not going to understand us either. So that's why you have conflict and, and issues with all these different people. That's why you have conflict with, with family members or friends or, or workmates, different people in your life. Man, there's going to be parts about who you are and decisions you make about for your family or for yourself or for your work, or for your sexuality or whatever it might be. There's going to be decisions that you make that the world's going to be like, what in the, like, what are you doing? And John is clearly saying that's because they don't understand your dad. And so if they don't understand your dad, they're not going to understand you because dad's passed down attributes. Moms pass down attributes. Parents always pass down attributes. Kids inherit things from their folks. When my wife and I uh, first became parents about a year and a half ago, when I became a brand new dad, uh, people were coming in to see our daughter and they just, you know, want to see her and all this stuff, hold her. And, and I thought that that was it, right? I thought the goal of those times together when people would come in and visit, I thought that all they wanted was just like hold her and see her. They're like, oh, but I realized that there was always a second agenda. As soon as they saw my daughter, they couldn't just like look at her and be like, oh, she's so great. They would have to look at her and then they would have to look at us and then at her again and then us. 
and be like, okay, who does she look like? And they would start like breaking it down and they would try to hold her up to our faces. Like, okay, let's see. Like, I don't know. And they, every single person, man, without fail, people are just like, that's their focus. And when they come and see a new kid, they're like, okay, wait, oh, she's got mom's eyes, mom's nose, mom's chin. Um, well, uh, dad has two ears. She has two ears. So good job, dad on that front, I guess. But that's always the mission for whatever reason, man. It's because we realize that children inherit attributes from their parents. John says, God is your father. Therefore, you're going to inherit some of his attributes. Our big Christian term for this, uh, there's two terms. One of them is communicable. The other is incommunicable. All right, meaning communicable, uh, communicable, meaning this is an attribute that can be passed to me. Something that can transfer incommunicable, meaning that it cannot. So this is good. There is, it is good that there are certain aspects of the Lord, certain attributes of the Lord that we cannot inherit. We will never be omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. We will not receive that. God is omniscient. He knows all things. We're not going to get that characteristic. God is om, omnipresent. He is in all places, all times. We're not going to receive that attribute. Thank goodness. That would be terrifying if we had that. But there are attributes that are communicable. There are attributes that we can inherit, that we can not only recognize in the Lord, but that we can also reflect. That we don't have to just look at him to see, but we can actually live it out. And man, this is, this is wonderful. This is an incredible opportunity. So this morning, we're just going to look at three of those attributes. Three of those communicable attributes. Things that we don't just recognize in God our Father, but things that we can reflect in our own personal lives. The very first one is the fact, the attribute of love. (laughs) Just the fact that God is a Father who loves so deeply, so richly, so powerfully. Paul explains it in Ephesians 2 by saying that although you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives and the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest— before we read the end of this passage, well, just to summarize, Paul's saying, look, you, he's speaking to believers. He says, you were dead, dead, lifeless, useless. Why? Because you were known for transgression and sin. You're dead in it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. You're a slave to sin. Sin owned you. So that's where you were. You're living your life according to that path, the path of the world, the path of Satan, right? The ruler of the spirits. You were living out this way uh, according to the cravings of your own sinful flesh. You're indulging the desires, anything that comes to your mind. I mean, that's what you were all about. In fact, because of this lifestyle, because of this nature, you were actually a child of wrath, meaning that the Lord was your enemy, that's what he's getting at right here. He's saying, you are a child of wrath. You have rejected God. You are, you are running in the opposite direction. You're denouncing his name. You're saying, I don't want any part of anything that he, that guy's all about. The creator, the one who made me lovingly, I, I don't care. I'm going to run in the opposite direction. You are enemies of God. But, but, God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you've been saved. This is incredible. The fact that God loved us even while we were his enemies is incredible. We can't lose sight of this. It's easy to love someone who loves you back. We've found this in life, in this world. We know that it's easy to love someone who loves us in return. When you come home to your brand new puppy, Mr. Sprinkles, uh, you can love him very easily. Why? Because you show up, you're like, Mr. Sprinkles. He's like, bark, bark, bark. And you guys are like, oh, you tussle and he licks your face. You're like, oh, this is so great. Like you love him and he loves you back. You're like, oh man, this is wonderful. That's, that's easy, right? That, that's an easy love. It's a little bit harder trying to love someone who hurts you, right? On occasion, someone who can hurt you, who can disappoint you. Like if you come home, you see Mr. Sprinkles, oh, but there's a broken lamp right next to him. And he's kind of like, bark, bark. And you're like, ah, dang it, Mr. Sprinkles. I still love you, but it's harder, right? It's it's harder when you know this person can disappoint you. However, both of those are so much easier, so much more incredibly easy and, and natural than the third option, which is to love someone who hates you, to love someone who is actively opposing you. Like if you come home, you see Mr. Sprinkles, there's the broken lamp, but there's no remorse on his face. He's just kind of staring you right in the eye. Pulls his ball across his mouth and goes, you're next. Bark, bark, right? If that was your interaction with Mr. Sprinkles, it'd be hard to love that guy, right? He probably needs to go to the shelter or, I don't know, far away. I don't know, but that's... That's difficult. It's hard to love someone or something if it hates you in return. And yet that's what the Lord has done. God looked at his enemies. God looked at humanity, children of wrath, dead in transgressions. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet while we were still dead in our transgressions, the Lord made us alive with Christ. This is incredible love that we need to recognize that the Father has for us. And we need to recognize the fact that the God of the universe, he cannot love you more. He cannot love you more. And he will not love you less. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you slipped up last week, no matter how uh, you know, wrong you feel you are on this or that, no matter what kind of guilt or shame you're tempted to just sort of let sort of be your identity, no matter what you've got kind of weighing you down on your shoulders, what you need to recognize is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And when he looks at you, then he loves you. And he sees the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned. He doesn't see that sin. He doesn't see that guilt He sees his child who he loves, who he could not love more and will not love less. We need to recognize that that's our God. Man, that's our God. And we can reflect that love to the world around us. 
Jesus sums it up by saying, look, if you really want to show the love of the Father to the world around you, this is what you can do. You can forgive other people just as you've been forgiven. You can look at your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your coworker, and you can forgive that person because you recognize that you've been forgiven so much that you have no reason to withhold forgiveness from anyone. And imagine if we as believers were known as people who loved, as people who forgave. What would that do? What could we accomplish? How much more powerful would the gospel go forth if we were a forgiving people? God says, I want that for you. I want you to feel loved. I want you to extend, not just experience my love. I want you to extend my love to others. God is a father who loves us. God is also a father who provides for us. This is what Jesus refers to in Matthew six. He says, therefore, speaking to his disciples, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life or your livelihood. He says, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. He says, is there not more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? He says, look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Do you not realize as sons and daughters of the Lord most high, as children, as humans created in the image of God, do you not realize that you are so much more valuable than a bird? Jesus is looking at his disciples, men and women, these people who, who lived I mean, hand to mouth. These people lived on daily bread. These people had to work to live. They were not from wealth. They're not from affluence. He looks at these people and he says, you know what? That's what God wants you to be. That's where God wants you to be. That's the mindset the Lord would want you to have. So when the Israelites were walking through the desert, going to the promised land, God would give them, he would provide water, he would provide food, he would provide food called manna, and it would be this bread that would fall from heaven, and he would send it to them every single day. And if they tried to keep some, if they tried to like gather up extra manna and like put it in a basket, I guess they had those. Uh, and so if they tried to save it for the next day, they'd be like, okay, you know, like just in case, let's leave a little, it would always spoil it always go rotten. Why? Because God was teaching them, look, you need to depend on me daily. When Jesus Christ prays to the Father, he says, you want to, Lord, we need you to give us our daily bread. Meaning we need to be regularly turning to you and asking you for what we need. Because that's the truth. You're not always going to receive what you want, right? You're going to receive what you need. That's what Jesus is referring to right here. He says you're going to get what you need from the Father because that's what a good father does. He looks at a child and maybe the kid has certain wants or desires, but the father should know what that child needs and he provides it. That's what our father in heaven does. He looks at our needs and he meets them in ways that only he can. My wife and I, our daughter, Charlotte, she is a year and a half old now. Uh, but a while back, she uh, discovered a, a passion, a joy in her life known as playing in the cabinets. Uh, this was something that just... It brought her so much satisfaction. It was unbelievable. Anytime she saw the kitchen, she would remember, oh my gosh, there's cabinets in there. She would beeline in and she would open them up. And we were like, hey, yeah, this is kind of fun. You know, like she could get in there. It's not like 
too dangerous, we thought, but we were like, yeah, she'll be okay. So as long as we kind of keep our eye on her and everything, it'll be great. So we would let her, she would go in, she'd start playing, she'd bang things around, just like, ah! It was wonderful. She loved it, every single moment of it. She wanted it day in, day out, until one day when this occurred. You getting pinched? Did I film you just as you got pinched? That's so sad. Oh, remember it forever. Oh, it's so sad. It's sad that I'm laughing. It's sad that her finger was pinched. Uh, Man, we realized that this began to happen. This began to happen regularly. We we began to find ourselves, even when we were still watching her, she would she would somehow manage to get her finger into a thing and kind of pinch it. And and this happened a couple times. We're like, okay, like we can't we can't let this go on anymore, right? Because no one wants to just stare at that face all day, every day. I'm going to leave it up for the rest of the morning. Uh, but you know, I mean, generally you don't want to just stare at that face. It's sad. And, and we saw that and we were like, okay, she doesn't need to be in those cabinets. And yet what's so incredible is that Charlotte still wanted to be in those cabinets. She wanted it so bad. And anytime she would start to crawl in, we'd be like, no, 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 no. She'd just lose her mind. Because she wanted to be in those cabinets. But we as her parents, her mother and I, we realized, no, like you don't need that. We know that you need healthy boundaries. You need healthy restrictions. You need to not go into that place or you will find destruction for your fingers in that place. God, our father, looks at us and he sees our needs better than we see them ourselves. And that can be so difficult because at times we truly, truly believe that we need certain things. That we need our family member to be cancer free. We need it. We need a certain amount of money in that bank account. We need this relationship to go a certain way. We need these other circumstances to work out in the way that we need them to work out. And yet when those things don't happen, when those needs are not met, what do we do? Well, when we look in scripture, what we see is a promise. A promise that God has a plan, a promise that God has a purpose, and a promise in Matthew 6 that God is going to meet our truest needs. And sometimes we don't understand it. And sometimes we disagree. And sometimes we can feel abandoned and lost and confused. But man, if we truly know and believe that God loves us, that's why it was point number one, if we really believe that God loves us, then it would naturally follow that God provides what we need. And if we really feel like that's not happening, I would encourage you to talk to God about that. Don't run from him. Don't seclude yourself. Don't refuse to talk to your friends or family members about it. Talk to the Lord. Talk to his people. God wants us to know that he will provide for us, we should recognize that by asking and by trusting him to provide that daily bread. We should be reflecting that to the world around us by providing for other people that have needs. By cooperating, by being a part of God's plan of provision for the world around us. That's why in James what we see is he talks about how this true 
devotion to the Lord, pure and undefiled religion before God. He says what is known by a part of that, part of being a truly devoted to the Lord. He says, you know what you're going to do with that? You know how you're going to live out that devotion? You're going to care for the widows. You're going to care for the orphans. In other words, he says, you're going to go and you're going to find the most helpless people. In that time, those were the most helpless, lowest of the low people you could find in that society, the widows and the orphans. And he says, you're going to go to those people and you're going to serve them and you're going to love them and you're going to encourage them and you're going to provide for them because that's what God loves. God loves to help the helpless, defend the defenseless. So I would encourage you, if you have not participated in a ministry that serves people in need, gosh, I would so strongly encourage you to consider that this summer. When you have a little bit more space in your schedule, whether you're single, married, have a family, there are so many opportunities that you can find even just at Grace. You can go through our website. You can see our community outreach where we partner with so many different organizations in our community to serve people, whether it's food or shelter or jobs or support. Even just within Grace, we have our Owls ministry, which is designed for widows and widowers to come together to find community and support in that unique and potentially uh, isolating stage of life. We have a ministry called Faithful to, Faithful to the Fatherless that works with people in, in the adoption world, in the, the foster care world, finding these forever homes for these children. I would encourage you to look for ways to participate in God's provision, to reflect that attribute in that way. Because God is a God, who, a Father who loves us, who provides for us, but he's also a God who reconciles with us. I would encourage you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the last attribute we're looking at. I think one of, one of the ones that really just has most resonated with me over these past few weeks as I've been preparing this talk. I think the Spirit's really laid this one on my heart. I'm not sure why. But 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, we see that all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Over and over and over again, we see this idea of reconciliation, reconciled to reconcile. All that's referring to, the the idea behind that term is that you are taking a relationship that has been broken and you are restoring it to its original status. That's what reconciliation is. Take what was broken and make it whole again. And what we see in 2 Corinthians 5, what we see throughout scripture is that our God loves to reconcile. That's what he's all about. So what scripture is as a whole. We see the brokenness created in the fall, or we see the original status of, of man and God walking in community, in relationship with one another, and yet the fall comes in, breaks that relationship apart. All of scripture points to that beautiful future day when the earth will be new, the heavens will be new, when all of it will be back with the Lord reconciled. And we get to experience a taste of that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, where we are guaranteed a life beyond this world, where we are returned, reconciled with 
the Lord. We see it on the grand scale of scripture. We see it on individual moments. We see it with Jacob and Esau, brothers who were torn apart, but brought back together. Gomer and Hosea, a prophet whose marriage was illustrating God and Israel. And so his wife left him a time and time again. And yet they were able to find each other. God would bring them back. He would reconcile that relationship because he says, that's what I want with my people. We see even within the life of Christ, when Jesus was walking with Peter, one of his strongest apostles, one of his, the, the three, one of the really solid guys that, that Jesus would spend time with and develop and work with. And yet when Jesus was awaiting trial, when Jesus was going through and about to be crucified, Peter denied Christ. He fled the scene. And abandoned the Lord. And yet, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, when he encountered Peter once again on the shores of a sea where Peter had just been fishing, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes. And that relationship is restored. Reconciliation takes place because our God loves to reconcile. Now what's interesting and so when we look in scripture, the, the Greek, the, they actually had two types of reconciliation. Now they had one that was mutual, meaning that two parties had to come together, kind of talk about it, come to an agreement, and then boom, you're reconciled. Mutual reconciliation. There was another type that was exclusive reconciliation, meaning that just one party would take it upon him or herself to just do the whole thing. They would just say, okay, you know what? We're not going to come together in the middle. I'm just going to go. I'm going to get you, and we're going to be reconciled. That was the two types of reconciliation. We see this in our lives. Right? We've had roommates or siblings or spouses, and there's going to be dispute in your relationship, right? And you're living together. And as disputes arise, as rifts occur, there comes times where the two of you have to meet up. You're like, roommate meeting. We're going to get out the whiteboard and line out the job chart or whatever it is. And we're going to talk with each other and we're going to try to reconcile whether forks should be pointed up or down in the dishwasher, right? We're going to just have that conversation, the two of us, and we're going to get there, right? We're going to get there. (laughs) Well, come on. We're going to reconcile, mutual reconciliation. I currently have a roommate uh, where that does not work. Uh, I have a roommate who wants to live inside of the refrigerator. I do not know why. I think she misses the cabinets. And so she's like, maybe that thing. And so she wants to climb. She literally, she's upset right here, crying because she wanted to get inside of the refrigerator. Uh, and in that moment, I can't just say, Charlotte, okay, I can't take her to the living room, sit us both down and be like, okay, let's, let, what's going on? Like, what's up? What kind of compromise? How about the freezer? What if you just live in the freezer? Like I can't dialogue with her and reach compromise with her. There is no mutual conversation in that. If our relationship is going to be restored, if reconciliation is going to occur, it's on me. It's all on me. When we see reconciliation discussed in 2 Corinthians 5, wouldn't you know that this is exclusive Reconciliation, meaning that Paul is reminding us, is very intentionally choosing words to tell us it's not a two-way street. Our salvation is not obtained after we like say the right things or do the right stuff or kind of get our lives together. God isn't waiting for us to come sit down in the living room with them and kind of reach a compromise about how many times we can sin or what we can sort of do or what type of lifestyles we can keep on or cast off. God in his mercy while we were still dead saved us. God being rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in love pulled us 
out of sin, pulled us out of death and reconciled us to himself. And so Paul says, man, it's our ministry to preach that. He says, it's not going to be our words that change lives. He says, we're just spokespeople. And you know what? It's not that someone's going to hear us and they're going to be like, yep, okay, I'm going to make that happen. He says, that, that's not the way it is. He says, it's the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit can use us. God can use us as his mouthpiece so that when I share that good news, when I share that beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, other people can hear that and the Lord can use that to convict them. The Spirit can move in that moment, grab a hold of their heart and bring them to repentance. Bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says that's our ministry. We need to recognize that God is the one who desires reconciliation with the world. And so when we see people around us, God wants all those people to be back with himself. It's not going to be true for every single person. But you know what? While there's life, there's hope. No one is hopeless. So when we see people in our families, in our friend groups, in our, in our workplaces that need to know the Lord, that have not been reconciled to God, that are still a child of wrath and not a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High, we need to be praying for those people. Praying that the Spirit would move. Praying that the Spirit would provide opportunities for us to talk to them about that. And that the Spirit would use our words to bring about conviction. We need to be not just praying for these people, but I'd say we can reflect this attribute of the Lord by just reconciling with other people. Going back to the forgiveness. If we choose to forgive, if we choose to reconcile with other people, if we live that way, if we move in that direction, what a beautiful image of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. What a beautiful image of what God the Father designed from the beginning of time. That what was broken might be made whole. Again, sometimes that reconciliation takes a long time. Sometimes trust is lost and that has to build back up, but we can always choose to forgive. Always. And we can be praying that the Spirit would make reconciliation possible between ourselves and the other person. So the band's going to come back up and they're going to lead us through one more song to sort of reflect on what the Lord has done on our behalf, on who He is and what He's done. And I would encourage you to use this time to truly reflect and just take a few moments and really go before the Lord, humble yourself before him, ask him, God, bring to my mind, where am I struggling to recognize or reflect your attributes? God, where is it at? And God, don't just make me aware of it, but Lord, be strong in that weakness. God, empower me because apart from you, I can do nothing. So let's go before the Lord. Let's pray those things. Let's ask him to change our hearts right now. Lord, we ask you so, so, so often to be strong in our weakness. God, because we uh, are constantly finding new ways to fail. And God, we are constantly finding new ways to uh, disappoint you in our own eyes. But Lord, what we need to recognize, God, what we struggle to still see is that you still love us. That God, that your grace wasn't all used up in our salvation. That, Lord, we are not only saved by grace, but, Lord, we also live by grace. That, Lord, you have promised to be strong in our weakness. Lord, to provide peace where we have anxiety. God, to provide forgiveness where we just have hatred. So, God, let us see 
and recognize the fact that you are a Father who loves and who provides and who reconciles. God, let us reflect those attributes to the world around us. Take this moment right now. Ask the Lord, God, where am I struggling in this? Convict me where I'm at right now. But then, Lord, strengthen me to move forward. God, show me a path forward, whether it's a conversation I'm going to have today, whether it's a lifestyle change that I'm going to put into practice. God, show me how can I better recognize or reflect these things about you to the world around me so that I might be a better minister for your gospel. Ask him that right now. pray. Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the freedom that you've offered us in Christ. That, Lord, we are no longer slaves to sin and death. That, Lord, we have been set free, God, to lead lives that can be in accordance to your will. So, Lord, we ask that we would trust you with our lives, God, with our days, with our needs, with our relationships. God, let us to look to you for direction, for guidance, God, for strength. So, Lord, be with us this week, Lord. Set out the path before us. Guide our steps. We pray this in your will. Amen. All right, well, we love you guys. We'll see you in a week.